Welcome to episode 56 of Dating Skills Podcast. I'm Angel Donovan, your host, and today we're looking at an interesting trend. Why is AshleyMadison.com so popular? If you haven't been sitting under a rock, you'll have seen some ads or heard about this affairs dating site. 160 million people visit this site every year. It has 13 million accounts, maybe not all active, but still, that's nearly 25% of the married population. Now, the whole point of AshleyMadison.com is for people who are in committed relationships, whether it be a girlfriend or a wife, a person that they're saying they're monogamous with, is to cheat in secret or to have an affair and for it to remain discreet. So it's a question of authenticity and honesty. We're not talking about polygamy, open relationships, or casual dating where your partner, the other person, typically knows that it's not a monogamous situation. It's not a committed situation. This is particularly relevant to us as guys because most of the studies show that men tend to have more affairs than women. But besides this point, if you're interested in any type of monogamous relationship, then this is really something that you should be aware of because it is so prevalent today. And at some time in your life, it's probably going to affect you, whether it's the girl who's having the affair or whether it's you yourself who attempted or get involved in an affair yourself. Today's guest is Jason Gaddis. He's a certified psychotherapist, counselor, and relationship specialist working with men. He has also founded and led a number of men's groups over the years for self-development, growth, and other purposes. I came across him through some really interesting writing of his on the root cause of affairs and their impact on us. I found today's interview very thought-provoking, and I hope you do too. As usual, to download the interview MP3, to get links to resources that we mention on the show, and to get the interview transcript, you can go to datingskillsreview.com slash DSP56. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step-by-step, episode-by-episode. So I understand you do, you go out into the wilderness with guys and you do some kind of ritual rite to lead them. Is that, I've seen that, saw that was one of the interesting things you were doing with, with men. I know you're doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, I haven't done that in a while. Um, it's been a few years, um, but I will get back into that as my son gets older and he wants to go out. Then we're talking, I'm back in the game. But once I had a family man, it was like, I'm not leaving for a week anymore. Uh, how old's your son? Is he really young? He's five. A three-year-old daughter. Yeah, he's, he's that age when you got to stay home and look after them. Yeah, and I, I want to be around. It's an amazing stage. It's so incredible to see it, be in it every day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've heard a lot of people, they really regret passing that up, but you sound, you're lucky. You're a part-time stay-at-home dad, right? Yeah, yeah. So I get to be there a lot. Okay, so the first thing we always like dive into is just a bit of background on you, who you are and what you've been up to in your life. So kind of what your experiences are with relationships and so on. So you're married, correct? I am, yeah. And you have one kid or, or you have a couple? I have two, a boy and a girl, young kids. Yeah. 
Great, great. And uh, do you have relationships before this or is this a long relationship, a little bit of background of where you came from and how you got into helping men resolve relationship type issues? Yeah, I could go into that story. It's mm. a good one. I could keep it brief, but sure. yeah, the dating before marriage and the kind of fiasco that that was. <laughs> <laughs> well luckily you're married now so it's all over <laughs> exactly different pain points now <laughs> different pain points for different people right some people are like oh i'm married now it's all over <laughs> right, right so how long have you been married we got married in 2007 so seven years this year oh great congratulations and together thanks together about uh 10 excellent i hope you celebrated that oh yeah or you are just about to and you haven't forgotten and you're not getting into trouble no no right? yeah we're pretty on it yeah yeah great Great. That's, it's great to hear. So the topic uh, I want to talk to you about today is affairs, because I saw some cool articles that you'd written about the subject, which were really insightful. So to start off with, I just want to really let the audience know what is an affair, because we all have these things in our mind, but I think there's different types of affairs and it's not as clear cut as just as an affair. So what would you say, what would your be description of an affair? Well, I have a pretty general description, which most people might winced at, which is when I'm out of my own integrity with myself, energetically, physically, whatever, with another person when I have another agreement with someone else. So this is more about yourself versus uh, the actual agreement you have with someone. I know some people have like they have very clear communication, um, particularly people in polygamy or some of those more complicated relationship styles. Often I think married people haven't gone as deep because maybe it's not as complex, but maybe they should. So it'd be nice to hear your ideas on that too. So you're saying like, is it on a communication level or is it in an internal level? It's not necessarily even something that you've communicated with your partner about. Yeah, it may or may not be. So let's say I have an agreement to be in a committed relationship with a girl and I'm dating her and we're monogamous. We're like, we agreed that that's our deal, that we're not going to date other people. If I had made that agreement, then I'm, my integrity is to stick with that agreement, but it's not for her. It's also for me. So I'm making the agreement for two people, me and the other person. And if I violate that agreement by acting out or leaking energy this way or sleeping with someone else, then I'm out of my own personal integrity because I made an agreement that said I wouldn't do that. So an affair is when I break my agreement and our agreement. Right. So for that to happen, you have to have a very good definition of what you see as cheating. And would you say this is something that everyone should have a similar view to, or can it be very different? No, I think, I think people get to decide what they want. I think the most important thing is that both parties have a shared context and they're on the same page going into the relationship. Once they set that container, like, hey, we're dating now exclusively, well, what does that mean? Can I like look at porn? Can I flirt with girls at the bar? Can I... It is good to talk about that so later it doesn't come to bite you in the ass when you inevitably cross a boundary because people typically do because relationships get a little stale. People often want to look for something a little more exciting. And without knowing it, they just start flirting with the coworker. And a lot of people will convince themselves that there's nothing wrong or there's no problem there. But the general rule of thumb is, well, if my partner, the person I'm dating, was in the room, would he or she have a problem with that? And would they go into reactivity around it? And if I can answer no, then it's probably cool. That's a nice little rule. That's very clear cut. So some of the categories I, I saw, and I was looking at a study before we started talking today, which was in the Evolutionary Psychology Journal. It was interesting because they had a, a super long list of different activities. So you've put a few things out there just now. So they had everything from giving people a few dollars to giving them $500. So completely out of the sexual realm kind of stuff, all the way up to having sex and so on. And they rated all of these different activities. And they found that 
on an individual basis, people, like you're saying, they had very different views. Some people had a strong reaction to, my partner just gave someone $500 of the opposite sex. They had a very strong cheating reaction, like a fair to that kind of thing. Obviously, there are some people who didn't have as much problem with more emotionally engaging activities, maybe flirting. It's interesting that it can be quite different depending on the individual. Yeah, you're right. And again, that's why it's so important that if you and I are dating, we get on the same page about what the deal is here. What's the agreement? And a lot of people don't do that because especially when dating, and it can be really electric and sexy and there's a lot of chemicals going on. People just, they don't want to have the business conversation. It's not fun. It's a buzzkill. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the STD conversation. Yeah, in a little totally. bit. It's not as bad, but it's not that fun, as you say. Yeah, that's right. But if you're going to be responsible in it at some point, it's generally a good idea to bring it up. For younger men and sometimes younger women, that kind of conversation can be off-putting. And it's like, we want to be a little more impulsive when we're younger. It's like, I just want sex now, for example. I just want to get in her pants now. I just want to, <laughs> I want to get laid or I want to have fun or I want to feel good. It seems like as people age, those conversations are a lot more normal and both parties are, it's not weird or out of context, like, yeah, like, what's the deal here? Right. Yeah, well, it comes with, like, maturity. But it's also, like you were saying, we just want to have the feeling when we're younger. If I look back when I was 21, I was a raging, <laughs> a raging bunch of testosterone. And I don't think my conscious, logical, rational mind really had a lot of play in what was going on in my relationships at that time, unfortunately. It really seems to be some kind of biological feeling thing at that point in your life, which makes you be a little bit, you're not really focused on the rational and these kind of things. Yeah, yeah. But as you were saying earlier, it's also a social thing, I guess, because we're not used to talking about those topics. So that would be the experience aspect, I guess. Would you look at it like that? Yeah, I would. And also just a maturity thing. I think two general categories for this. Some people talk about emotional affairs versus sexual affairs to kind of give it a more clear cut feel to it. Yeah. Have you heard that description before? Is that something you use? Yes, I do. Very common. So how would you classify an emotional affair? Because I think that's the one, obviously, the sexual affair involves some kind of sexual act. So whether it's uh, intercourse or kissing and so on, what would be the emotional aspect to that? Yeah, the emotional is that we're not hooking up and we're not touching each other, but we got a little thing going. And it often happens, it creeps up on people slowly where they form a connection and a bond with someone at work or someone on the bus or the train or wherever we're commuting from. Just those kind of things. It can be really mundane at first. And all of a sudden, over time, that we feel really safe with this person. We start sharing things with them that we aren't sharing with our partner. We lean on that person for emotional support, even to talk about how lame our relationship is. That's when it gets a little more obvious. But sometimes they can happen at workshops. You meet some sexy person at the workshop. And by the end of the workshop, you guys are all tight and touchy feely. And it's like, wait a minute, what just happened here? So. Those uh, emotional affairs I find kind of sneak up on people because it's just, if they're in a relationship that isn't going great and there's some anger or there's some resentment going on, emotional, that's like ripe territory for the birth of an emotional affair. Yeah. And does that then always sound like sometimes progress to a sexual affair? It sounds a bit like a gateway to affairs as sneaky. Yeah. Nice. I like that. I would say so. That makes sense to me there's a, a level of shame or guilt associated with an emotional affair that stop people from going to the next step into the sexual domain. They have enough doubt, shame, guilt, or something online that's like, wait a minute, this doesn't, I got to tell my partner or something's off here or I'm falling in love or whoa. But if they're really angry, then they definitely don't tell their partner and they just keep going. 
Right. So now you're talking about what's going inside of them. So I know, I know we're going to talk about that quite a bit. In terms of sexual affairs, direct sexual affairs, you find that's a lot more conscious and it's more about their values. They think it's fine to do that. Or is there a different mode for that? I don't know about a lot more conscious. Um, I think people are run by the animal part of their brain and their body, and they're just really impulsive. And they don't really have control over themselves. It's like the stock market. One day, if I lose a bunch of money or I gain a bunch of money and I get all depressed or I get elated, if I gain a bunch of money, I get all high on myself, a little manic, I'm not very trustworthy either place. I don't make good decisions from either place. The sound investor makes decisions from a stable place. Similarly, in a relationship, if I'm just feeling hot and horny and I jump on someone, I'm always going to justify it later why it's okay. I'll find a million reasons why it's fine and it can keep going and that I don't have to tell my partner because it just feels too good. But I'm in my animal self at that point. I actually not very conscious. Yeah, and I'm totally relating to what you're saying here. So what kind of examples, how would people rationalize that to themselves? What kind of excuses do you most see? My marriage is dead anyway. I'm in love with this person. We really have something special going on here that I didn't have in my other relationship. This one feels better and I just need to follow my heart. That other relationship is over and I don't care and they don't care about me anyway. He cheated on me or she cheated on me anyway, so I'm just getting back at them like we're even now. All kinds of justifications. Right. I've seen that one quite often the last one you mentioned where basically they're pissed off about something, not necessarily someone having cheated, but it could have been anything like something in the relationship and they use that as a justification. Yep. Could have been anything like, oh, he didn't give me, <laughs> didn't give me a hundred bucks when I asked him, you know, it's just a silly example, but it's just something that you feel that wasn't right in the relationship or you deserved or whatever. Yeah. And typically there's a slow build over time. Now, affairs to me that happen quickly sometimes but there's usually a multi-month, year, years buildup that put everything in place to justify why it's okay. How about affairs where someone thinks they're happy in a relationship and it just happens, suddenly comes out of nowhere? Is that something different? Does that happen or is it something? No, I think that does happen, but I would question, are they really happy? And maybe that person's actually better suited for polyamory. Maybe that person just wants to have multiple partners and there's no shame about that. They should then go, go talk to their partner and get clear about what they really want. Because some people really just want multiple partners or at least to have an open situation, but then they get caught in the cultural expectations of, and moralism and doing it right and their religion or whatever tells them that's bad and wrong. So they get stuck in a box and then they want to act out. So that person's just better off to just be themselves and be a little more free and make that part of their agreements. Right. Right. I've seen a few examples like that, which were quite interesting. I wanted to bring them up a bit later. There was one situation I'll bring up right now where I met this girl and she'd been married for a few years and they had kids. And so it was something that she was serious about and she wanted to keep together. The husband was uh, constantly cheating. He was going away on business trips, but he would constantly cheat. And when she found out about the behavior, she tried to contain it and I guess work with it. She said, well, why don't we open up the relationship? Because we want to stay together for the kids and we still got a lot of love and everything. So why don't we open up the relationship? And that's not where she kind of started with, but she was willing to open up the relationship. So they did that. So everything was supposed to be open, but then he started seeing girls outside of the open relationship. And it's a funny thing to do, but he started basically not telling her about some of the girls he was seeing. So I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. It was the act of cheating that was important there. Totally. And that's a way probably that for that guy, he has a sense of feeling control and power because he probably grew up in a family where he felt powerless and out of control. And he probably had a bunch of mom issues that were unresolved. So 
this stuff is just a lot of it is all just also just acting out our childhood wounds. Right, and I can go uh, pretty deep, I guess. It can go very deep, and then we'd need to look at that woman and what how she was participating in that dynamic and why she was kind of allowing that sort of behavior. Yeah, would you say partners tend to get together who have similar issues around affairs? Is there any patterns you've seen like that? Oh yeah, big time, and it's almost like textbook how it works. Affairs typically are handed down through the generations. And so if you grew up with parents who had an affair on either end, someone cheated on someone or grandparents or, or your partner, there was an affair in her family, let's say, chances are there's going to be some kind of affair in your relationship, whether she acts it out or you act it out. And it's all unconscious and it's just asking for healing. And so the smart, savvy people catch on to this and they usually can prevent the affair, but it'll get set up. So it's there for the taking there's a total opportunity after opportunity, but if the person's really conscious, they can put the brakes on that behavior, talk to their partner openly about it, and they can have a really cool growth experience together through that close call, if you want to call it that. But yeah, I actually I haven't met anyone, Angel, ever who didn't have an affair whose parents didn't also have some kind of an affair. Uh, There's cheating or leaky energy or something going on. That's interesting. Yeah. What would they say to each other when they want to tackle this? So you're saying they've seen a situation where, say, you're the person, you see the other person, right? Say, say your girl looks like she's going to have an affair with a guy. She's just like, you see the emotional kind of affair style, like starting up and you think there's something there. And perhaps you can say either parents have the affair and pass that down. What would be the right thing for the guy to do if he wants to deal with this situation in a healthy way? Yeah. To call kind of a big time out and say, hey, honey, we need to talk. I'm just I'm feeling insecure over here. I notice there's something going on with you and that other guy, and I feel threatened by it, and let's talk about it. And then if she's really cool and conscious, she'll come back and say, okay, awesome. And she won't defend herself and be like, it's nothing. We're just friends, and everything's fine. (laughs) But if she comes back with, yeah, there's something going on there. I have some feelings and flickerings with this person, and they seem to be really into me, and it feels really good because I'm just starting to realize I don't feel loved by you in our relationship. And I feel really loved and seen and noticed by this man. And I feel attractive around him and I don't feel attractive around you. So they can just start to talk very openly about what's going on. And that requires a lot of maturity to be able to have that conversation, to not, for either party to not go into a big defensive reactivity and defend their territory and blame the other person, but to just bring their vulnerability and their insecurities to the table and say, hey, here's what's going on. And so then the next step is, the guy gets the message like, wow, she doesn't feel loved by me. Wow, if I'm really honest, I have been kind of slacking in this relationship. I haven't called her beautiful in a year. We haven't even had sex in six months. Wow, I could totally see why she's getting wooed by this other person. So I need to step up my game over here. I need to either get out of the relationship and let her go be free, or I need to I really love her and care about her. I need to do whatever it is on my side to get back into her. How can I fall back in love with her? How can I re-spark the flame? Because maybe I'm actually scared and avoidant over here. That's a very conscious and that those two people, like in my experience, I don't think there's a lot of people who've done a lot of work to be able to get to that level. I don't know what percentage you put on it, but I don't know, 10% or 5% of people, like if you take the, the broad population, maybe would be able to have that kind of conscious decision. I see it more like yeah. the first squeaky voice you gave of the girl. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. That's the reaction I would probably expect from most people. Yeah, that's true. And if she does that and gets completely defensive, but I'm picking up on, no, there's really something going on there. I have to be honest. And I might check in with my friends or whatever and say, hey, do you kind of notice like what she's like over there? 
then if I have a little more evidence, then I might, um, again, choose to really engage the relationship despite her defensiveness and try to get, if I'm flat and I'm sucking ass as a guy and I'm not empowered and in my own vibrancy, then that's not attractive to a woman over time. She is going to leave and vice versa. So we all have to stay in our sexiness by working on ourselves and people that don't do that, it just gets boring and you move on. You other stuff looks way more exciting right so for the guy who's in this situation where say his girlfriend isn't owning up to it and he's got some ideas but again i think one of the dynamics that plays in this whole jealousy affair uh, kind of situation is sometimes the guy isn't 100 percent sure and he's trusting his instincts and you've got these really evolutionary instincts which are saying to you something's going on here it's not right and the other side of him may be saying, well, she said it was fine. And maybe he's feeling a bit of social pressure from her because she's just like, what are you talking about? Shaming him a bit, pushing back a bit, and he's feeling bad about it. What would you say to guys who feel like in that situation? Well, that type of guy, in my experience, starts to get in the category of being a doormat or being a nice guy. And typical guys that are nice guys and doormats and punching bags let women kind of walk on them and even take advantage of them. And so the growth move for this guy is to change that pattern in himself, not to change the girl, because he'll keep attracting women like that into his life until he gets his shit together. Totally. So he has to recognize that he's the one who has to kind of man up here. It's a pretty clear sign, like if the girl is like pushing you down when you bring up topics like this, instead of uh, discussing it in a sensitive way, then there's probably something wrong, right? That would be one of the sign, the clear signs that he should think, oh, like there's something not right here. Yeah. Anytime for any of us, really, if our partner starts to look elsewhere, the first question to ask if we're paying attention is, what am I doing to contribute to this dynamic? Not, oh my God, they're leaving me and they're such a loser. I can't believe she's like that or, you know, name calling or whatever. I need to look in the mirror and be like, how am I participating here? Yeah, that's great. Then you can take it as an opportunity to grow, to fix this thing and to make the rest of your life and this relationship or your next ones yeah. way better. So guys should be really looking at it That's right. that way. It's like this awesome signal is like, hey, there's something right here that you haven't seen in your life. And it's going to affect you for a long time unless you wake up to it. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll stay a victim and I'll stay a nice guy and I'll stay in blame and everything, which again, isn't attractive. And you attract a certain kind of woman that likes that kind of guy. Likes the doormat kind of guy? Yeah. The one that she can control? control and play the field and keep, yeah, we're dating, but actually my energy's going elsewhere and I don't really care about you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. The iTunes rank of the show is critical for getting the best guests onto the show. Ranking is largely determined by subscriber count, so more subscribers means better guests. Also, if you've already subscribed, then please leave a rating and review. This also helps increase the iTunes rank. Help me make this podcast the best resource possible for you. To subscribe or rate with one click, go to datingskillsreview.com slash iTunes. That comes back to, we were talking a bit like nature versus nurture. We were saying it's a bit like nature, right? Like if your parents were cheating, then it's probably something you're going to do. So would you say selection comes in? If you're someone who's not interested in having affairs, that's not your style, and you've never done that, and you feel pretty straight about who you are, how can you pick up on how you select people to avoid these kind of problems? Because would you say it's 100% the guy's fault? Like you can always, like no matter who the girl is, or like the other way around, the girl, they can always control the situation if they got their own shit together? Or do you think it, some selection comes into it? It's like, no matter what I do, no matter how good I am, this girl's going to have an affair. 
It's not black and white like either of those examples. And there's just general themes and trends that we can look for. So if I grew up in a family with an affair, then I need to have one little ear up for affair energy. But uh, you can't really consciously sniff that out. This is all happens on the, at the unconscious level. So in terms of selection, it's more your unconscious part of you is ultimately selecting your partner. No matter how cool you think you are, or how awake you think you are, it's still your unconscious that's really driving it. So you will attract someone into your life that mirrors the pain points in you, your unresolved issues, and all your baggage that you'd never looked at. They will eventually, if you stay with them long enough, trigger all those places. And there's a cosmic brilliance to that that I don't quite understand. It's just the divinity of the universe. It's pretty widely accepted as a theory, most psychology circles around couples, that you attract basically your dad or your mom and you have to work it out. Yeah, I've seen this dynamic a lot and I saw it myself uh, several times over the years where I was dating the same types of women. I see my friends date the same types of women. Then they get to this point where like, why are all women like this? That's a very common saying, whatever this is. And it could be like, they're always going to cheat on you <laughs> and they're not cool. So it's a really interesting thing. As you say, it's not really any way to figure out why that happens. It's a pretty, it's no one's really figured that out. We're talking about it here, but I think there's quite a few people I've spoken to a lot of my buddies and they've kind of seen this dynamic and you're talking about it and you've seen it, but there's no way we can actually pinpoint say that's happening because of this. Yeah. If you want to avoid something in your life, that's kind of the quickest way to basically attract it into your life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm going to avoid an affair. So then you're basically calling in some woman to like have weird energy with you and other guys. So I think it's fine to have like an aspiration, an intention about this is the kind of person I want to have in my life that's caring and I want to go for kids and whatever your goals are and dreams. That's great. But plan on all of it getting uh, dismantled if you stick with this person. <laughs> And it's helpful if you're growth-oriented, it's helpful. If you're not growth-oriented and you just are hedonistic and want to feel good, you're going to be in a lot of pain and you're going to want out of that relationship. Yeah, that's an important point you brought up there. It's whether we're focused on just feeling good, like a short-term reward. All we want to do is be protected, have good feelings. We don't want to feel the bad feelings. And that's more interesting to us than, say, the longer term where we're thinking about like how much greater life could be if it was in a different perspective and how our life could totally change. Maybe have those things that we think are completely beyond us. I think a lot of the guys who listen to the podcast, they have maybe some kind of aspiration of where they want their dating and relationships to be, but they feel like it's way too far out there beyond them. That's half the problem when you're saying like things, because they haven't done work on themselves to understand that they can just grow into this. So how would you say you could move from a feeling to a growth? Is it something consciously you just have to push yourself into? Do you have to start reading about growth, learning about growth and focusing on this? Or is there some other tricks you can get to move out of just the feeling? That's like the million dollar question. I mean, it's really two main ways, uh, which you're probably aware of. One is pain. So a guy's got to be in enough pain, <laughs> enough failed relationships like, like I was actually. I had seven failed relationships and I finally said, maybe I'm the problem because I was always making the women wrong. They weren't hot enough. They weren't this enough. They weren't that enough. They didn't do this and blah, blah, blah. And I always made them wrong. And I was the issue. I was like, wow, but I want this other thing. I actually want to see if I can have a relationship longer than six months, but I was never able to. And I finally looked in the mirror and said, maybe I'm the problem because I'm the one common denominator. So pain or incredible thirst or longing to really catch that awesome woman that you want and to that you want not just to sleep with for a one night or a couple months, but the one you really want, maybe let's say long-term, the one that you can go on trips with and it's just amazing and you guys have an awesome time and all of that. 
So that if you have a lot of longing in your heart, that can also get you there because you'll realize if you want the more conscious, awesome woman you want, you need to actually mature in yourself to attract that. Otherwise, you're going to attract an insecure or whatever kind of woman where you're at. And you might say, well, I'm not insecure. That's fine. But your issues are going to attract the woman that's at the same developmental stage you're at. So the big thing that's popping out for me there is you have to really stay observant about what's going on. If you're not satisfied in your relationships and your dating, then one thing to do is just stay observant and look for patterns. Is there some similarity between those few girls or the way they behaved or the way I behaved? Looking for patterns in the dynamics. Exactly. That was actually how I got this, one of the things I was doing for a while, a few years back, just by kind of observing it. Uh, The other thing I was going to say, like you were saying, they have to feel enough pain, right? So for that, they have to keep going. You have to keep dating. You can't give up on it. You have to keep having the relationships. In that sense, kind of give up, right? And they're not going to get any more pain. I don't think they get to that low because a lot of the guys who've come onto this podcast and they're actually doing very well today and they're very successful and stuff. A lot of them talk about that low point where everything started to get better after that. So it's kind of like this critical pain that you just brought up, which is like, okay, I've had enough. This is going to change now. I had one of those too. And I think it's a really great moment. You don't realize it at the time, but that's really one of the starting moments for a lot of the guys who get what they want later on. That's right, man. That's why I love dating sites and pickup artists and things like that is because it's an entry point for personal growth and growing as a human being. And that's a really exciting moment when a guy finally realizes, wow, I have a lot of baggage that actually keeps me from attracting the kind of woman I want in my life. Okay. And in open relationships, is this something you've looked into a bit? It seems to be um, everyone has their own rules. Have you seen any clear determining factor that uh, separates having affairs and cheating with open relationships? Is it about the communication? Some people, they don't really say anything about it. For instance, if you look at the way people casually date today, right, before they get into a girlfriend, I think this is becoming actually kind of the status quo. Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like most people consider her in the casual dating sphere, like they're seeing a bunch of people until they have a talk with the person one day. And this could be months after you've started seeing someone and probably when you're seeing each other three times a week or whatever it is. I kind of see that as the status quo and then like people will get into a a relationship and it's not cheating after that. How would you look at it today? That's a good point. I think you're right in that it's more the status quo. You're probably more of an expert there than I am more of a relationship kind of expert guy. But in terms of the dating scene, I, in my experience here and with the clients I work with, that seems to be more the norm where it's what you said, where the agreement comes on later when someone courageous enough finally brings it up. Like, Hey, I really actually am into you. I kind of want to close the container here a little bit. And that takes some courage because people that don't want to be rejected will actually avoid that conversation and be settling for being one of three people the person's dating or one of two people. But if you really respect yourself, you're going to speak up and say, hey, I like you. I want to commit a relationship with just you. I'm in. Let's do this. But you have to know yourself and know what you want to be able to say that. And some people, again, they want to have their cake and eat it too and not commit and just one foot in, one foot out. And Again, that's fine, but you're not going to attract a really rad woman if you keep doing that. Right. And like you're saying, you kind of get what you want. You'll get someone who's not committed if you're not really committed yourself. So this is an interesting, obviously it's a bit of a stereotype. Men are commitment phobics, right? Uh, So what do you think is behind that? And is that related to affairs? Because, you know, a lot of the guys I see who are married um, that I know, many of them would, would have affairs. I'll tell you one of the dynamics I saw is like if they've been seeing many girls over the years, and not necessarily being serious with any of those girls, when they eventually get married, 
I think they have such a habit of seeing a variety of girls that it just doesn't become possible for them to adapt to the marriage situation. I've seen this play out quite a few times. I don't know if you come across that before. And if you think that's more like nurture, like it's your own fault <laughs> doing that for 10 years or however long, 15 years, and then expecting that you could change in a day. Or do you think people can just, depending on the situation, can they just switch to a different dating mode when they've made a decision in their mind? Well, I'll speak to three points here. Number one, our biology, we're up against just our physiology and our biology and our, our DNA, really. That it's not that long. Marriage is a long-term partnership is a, and commitment is fairly new in terms of human evolution. A lot of guys will actually make that argument and kind of laugh about it. But that's a fairly accurate stereotype there that we just aren't necessarily wired in that way. And if you look at guys, look at marriage and they look at couples that have kids and things like that. And it honestly, it doesn't look that great. Before I got married, I was not inspired by pretty much anyone around me about marriage. I just knew that something inside me said, I want that. I want a long-term commitment, not because of social pressures, because again, I was so anti-marriage for so long and anti-kids. I was like, no freaking way am I getting married or having kids. Look at me now. So it just doesn't look appealing. And then the third thing, the third factor here is guys are afraid. You said to you it didn't look appealing, right? Not at all. So that's, but then you decided that it was for you. So I got to, I, I'm not really sure. What, yeah, what was this? Um, what was the jump there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was so anti, dude. Seriously, I was just like, no way. And then I met my wife. And she was, I was used to dating girls. And then I met my wife, who was the first woman that I actually met. And she was like a match in terms of she could call BS on me and mirror back my crap and throw in my face my nonsense. And she wouldn't tolerate. She's a very strong, very strong woman. And that was appealing to a part of me. And that was also scary to a part of me. So I both wanted that, but I was also afraid of that because I was like, whoa, oh my gosh, I've met my match here. Yikes. And I wanted to run away from it. So I actually was commitment phobic. I broke up with her twice. I said, I'm out of here because the grass is greener somewhere else. I always had a story about the grass being greener somewhere else. And when I really got honest with myself and ended the relationship the second time, she left the door. She was so angry and she wrote me this long note back and said, screw you basically. And all these bullet points as to why I was full of it. And I was on a meditation retreat for a month. And I finally, um, at the end of the retreat, agreed with her, her letter. I was like, oh my God, she's right. Because I had so much time to sit with my stuff and sit with myself and sit with my own nonsense. I was like, wow, this woman is unbelievable. And I actually, I felt into my heart and the deepest part of me and my being. And I was like, I want long-term partnership because I saw it, Angel as a way to go. And I was like, oh, I want that. And this is the person that triggers me in just the right ways. I want to do the dance with her. I'll be like quietly after and et cetera, and all that, all that BS. I want a grateful marriage that ends when it's, we both agree that it's. So we changed the context of marriage to be something that we both were excited about that inspired us. I've heard quite a few people talk about this growth kind of motivation. And when you, when you find someone you can partner with, who can push you to grow and you push them to grow, this seems like right now it's what everyone's aiming for when they, when they want a long-term relationship. Would you see that's currently the best approach to sustaining a long-term relationship is going to be healthy. When you find someone who has the same perspective as you, like we're going to grow together, we're going to push each other to grow like a team effort. We're both interested in continuing through life and growing rather than 
I guess the original idea of marriage was like, oh, we've made it. Yeah. We don't have to do anything now. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I disagree with your comment about everybody's doing, or everybody wants this now. I, I would say actually it's still a very small percentage of people that want this. And people might say they want this kind of growthful, growth-oriented relationship where it's a path to becoming who we are. You want to call it woo-woo or something. But it's really a small percentage because people can get intellectually on board with that and go, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. But then when the going gets tough a year in after the honeymoon wears off and you're living with this person and they're triggering the hell out of you and they're annoying you and all your stuff's coming up, that's when people bail. And it's like, I want to move on. This is like too uncomfortable. But that's the moment to stay in and say, all right, I need new tools. And people are ill-equipped for long-term relationship because where do we learn it? We didn't learn it anywhere, man. It wasn't in schools. It wasn't in college. There was no place we learned this stuff except in small pockets online and with therapists and healers and really cool people across the world. Very small pockets are teaching actual tools that you can use in a relationship to get through your own issues to go deeper and have an even sexier relationship. So people don't have tools. So it's fine to have the view but you're going to also have to have tools. And it's a rude awakening when you're like, okay, cool, let's do it. And then you have no tools. Then it's like, whoa. Right. And I, by the way, I totally agree with you. By everybody, I kind of meant, <laughs> I meant the people who are working on this stuff, <laughs> talking about and really working on this stuff, which as you say, is like 0.5% of the population or whatever it is. Um, it's pretty small. So I agree with everything you, you, uh, you were talking about there. And yeah, I think the whole area of tools is kind of under development. Uh, maybe you know more about this area than me, but there's some stuff out there and it's, you probably do know more about this than me because you've been working for it yourself. Just so I just out of interest, what kind of tools have you found interesting or have you seen developing or trends around the area? Yeah. Well, first of all, you have to have the right view. The view we're talking about is a growth-oriented situation where we get to work through our own issues that you trigger in me. So once you have that, then the tools naturally follow that because there's a lot of relationship material out there that give you tools, but they're under this traditional marriage paradigm, which most of those tools will keep getting you the same results, which is 50% divorce and 50%, you know, like whatever, uninspiring. So a couple of suggestions are things like practicing no more blame. Be done with blame, set it down. And instead, pick up the tool of taking responsibility for my side and my part and stop tracking the partner and what they did wrong all the time. And instead, look in the mirror and say, what am I not doing or doing that's contributing to us being open or closed right now as a couple? Now, that's a big tool. That's a game changer right there. Learning responsible language, like talking about my own experience instead of, I feel that you are talking about the other person and reading and scanning them. Because again, most people that do that are in their childhood codependency pattern of tracking the grownups because they grew up in an environment that was a little threatening or whatever. So what the, the appropriate language would be more like, I feel like I'm, could you give an example there? Yeah, I feel scared. I feel angry. I feel hurt. And so I'm putting up my wall because I'm scared um, you're going to leave me or I'm scared that you're going to judge me. So I'm, I'm over here in self-preservation mode. So I'm just talking about my own self over here, but a lot of people can't do that initially and they need to learn that because what they've learned to do is scan and read the other person and then label them and tell them what's going on with them rather than tell me what's going on with me and then share that. Another good one I like is a tool of just sharing the impact. So if my partner behaves a certain way, I share the impact, which is, hey, honey, this is what it feels like when I'm with you right now. I feel contracted. I feel pissed off. I can, my head starts to hurt when you act like that. That's interesting. I've seen uh, something similar, but it, you might say this is not the correct way to do it. So the other thing would be to play out into what the impact will be on the relationship long term. 
So like you talk about yourself, but you also talk about like how that is likely to affect the relationship dynamic. Would you say that's a uh, positive thing or it sounds like it could be a punishment thing too? It, well, it could be a threat. It could be perceived by the other person as a threat. Like if this continues, honey, you're going to like, I'm going to keep shutting down around you. You could say that. Uh, that actually could be helpful sometimes, but I prefer to keep it short term. Like, hey, what helps me right now feel safe here is when you do that other behavior, not that thing you're doing. Like I, you raise your voice and you get all mad or you shut down and go away. This is what happens to me. Okay, so there's, there's a few tips on what to do when these affairs, for example, have been coming up. And the first one's like communication, basically. I mean, you've talked a lot about just being very upfront and communicating in the right way and taking responsibility. Is there any other steps to this process once you've been doing that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Back to the affairs, for example. Again, I knowing what you want is another thing that we haven't, maybe I've mentioned it maybe once on this talk, but that's really key is to know what I want in each moment and long-term, short-term. What do I want in regards to relationship? Do I want someone that's just kind of a benefit, friends with benefits, or do I really want a family someday? And how do I want that someday or do I want that right now? Because that knowing what I want is going to dictate my dating behaviors and whether I want to be in a polyamorous situation, an open situation, or a closed container. And then I can take responsibility for that put my stake in the ground and say, hey, I'm dating you, I want you, and this is what I want. This is what I want to co-create together. And that's really attractive to women. When a man can stand in his knowing and say, this is exactly what I want. And a lot of guys suck at that for a variety of reasons, but getting there is a really cool process. And once you do, man, that's a, that's a soft place to land for the woman. This is what you call sexual maturity. I saw this word come up before. It's a very useful uh, way to describe it. Um, come to this point where you know what you want sexually. I guess it's a bit more than that because you also have to know what you want on a relationship level. So that's more about intimacy, if we're thinking about emotionally, intimacy, and, and sexually. Yeah, let's call it relational and sexual maturity. I like both of those. So it's knowing what I want in all domains about myself and what I want to co-create with someone. Right, right. And how does a guy get to that point where he knows himself? Basically, it's about getting to know himself. Yeah, it really is. And again, it's got to be in enough pain to want to get to know yourself like that. Um, because our culture, by and large, the most cultures set it up so that we can be really hedonistic and comfortable and we don't really have to look in the mirror too much. So there's no incentive there. But if your longing is bright enough and strong enough, you're going to follow that down that rabbit hole until you get some tools and until you look in the mirror and start working on yourself and you hire people like yourself or me or coaches and therapists and personal growth people that can actually help you see your blind spots and stuck places. You do men's groups, you do all kinds of things to like work on yourself to improve and grow. That's, that's great. You're putting up lots of different options beyond just experience. Well, one of the main things I've always thought, well, I think in your 20s, you should date around a bit because if you don't have any experience, it's very difficult to relate to. And even if you're getting taught from teachers, which can be obviously a huge help to open your eyes to things you haven't seen before. Still, if you don't have anything to base what they're telling you on, it can be difficult to relate to it. So if you've had three relationships or four relationships in your 20s, for example, to get through those first experiences, would you say that's a good strategy for the younger guys? Because we got, we have all sorts of guys on this podcast. We have like 18-year-olds upwards. Um, and they ask these kind of questions. That, you know, should I be dating a lot? Do I have to date a lot of women right now? Uh, kind of ex existential questions. So what would you say to that? I think experience is probably hands down by far the quickest way is to go put yourself out there like you're saying, and date and see what happens. And, but 
But uh, actually see if you can stick a relationship out for longer than six months also and get that experience and what that's like. Get past the honeymoon stage and get into a real relationship and try that one out. What I'd add to that is, and actually let it get intimate. As guys, we can be pretty closed off in a relationship, right? And I wouldn't exactly call that as a, a very deep experience where you're going to learn a lot if you, you're relatively closed. So it's really about like exploring that and trying to like engage with it a lot more emotionally. Yeah, that's right. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay, man. <laughs> it's great talking to you. Um, so one question we ask everyone at the end of the podcast is what would be the top three recommendations you would give to guys who are kind of new to all of this and they want to get their dating and relationship life in gear? They want to get it all sorted out and have it, have it as they want and have a great lifestyle. What would you give them as the top three recommendations to work on? I would say what you said, number one, is go get experience. Go play the field. Go get your hands in the soil. Like Go for it. Number two is buy a few personal growth books that I could recommend on my site or you on your site that you probably have. What would you recommend, for example? I would recommend, let's say, The Heart of Love by Dr. John Martini. Uh-huh. That's a kind of really mature relationship book that if you want to really go for it, that book's amazing. It's got also how to identify your values so you can attract someone not like you because actually good luck with that. So you can understand and communicate the other person's values. It's really cool stuff. And then a community, some kind of community thing, like a men's circle or a personal growth workshop of some kind where you're around other people doing the same thing. So then it's not weird and dorky or new agey. It's just what you're doing to work on yourself and all the other people have the same shared context and it's awesome. Great, man. There's some great points and uh, they're actually kind of pretty new as well. So um, I always like it when we have new answers to that question. It's uh, bringing new ideas up. So Jason, thanks very much for making the time for this today. It's been a a great discussion on affairs and a whole bunch of other topics that weren't exactly planned, but it was great too. Cool, man. Yeah. Wonderful to connect with you and your audience. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at DatingSkillsReview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.